0: This is Bill George, we're listening to Radio Free Leader.
1: Welcome to Radio Free Leader. I'm your host, David best bestselling author and recovering academic, and this is the show that tears down the wall between the ivory tower and the corner office. Each episode brings you an outstanding thinker to help you lead smarter by sharing insights from social science and practical applications for leadership, innovation, and strategy. Make sure you stay up to date with Radio Free Leader and get some great stuff we don't share on the show by joining our community. You can sign up on the show notes page for this episode at davidberkus.com 0703 or text Radio Free to 33444. We'll even get you caught up with our Radio Free Leader Starter Kit, a collection of our most popular episodes sent right to your email inbox. So you can listen in just one click. Again, that's davidberkus.com slash 0703 or text Radio Free all one word, to 33444. Today's episode features an interview with Bill George. Bill George is the former CEO of Medtronic, turned Harvard Business School professor, and he's the founder of a concept called Authentic Leadership. Now, Bill's been writing about Authentic Leadership for some time and been a pioneer in this message. and He has a new book out that better explains how we can find our true north and lead more authentically. It was an awesome interview. I really enjoyed doing it. You know it's a great interview when I really love editing the interview, which I loved doing on this interview. So here's Bill George with How to Be a More Authentic Leader. So who are you and what do you do?
0: My name is Bill George and I recently wrote a book called Discover Your True North. I am a senior fellow at Harvard Business School and former chief executive officer of Medtronic, the medical technology company.
1: Well, so so the new book, Discover Your True North, but the, the, you're no stranger to writing. We've got uh, "True North," the original True North, Authentic Leadership, Finding Your True North, um, and actually one of my favorites, The Seven Lessons for Leading in a Crisis, um, that I think probably it's one of those books that I hope no one has to read because I hope they're not in said crisis. Um, but, but if they do, you know, it's good to know it's there. Um, today, though, I want to we want to talk about the new book and the Discover Your True North idea. But first, because I, I wanted to actually focus in a bit on, I, I told you this offline, on that sort of leadership journey and how do you find that true north, which makes me wonder. I mean, there's not a lot of people that lead a, a, a company like Medtronic um, and then step into that writing role and now step into the role of teaching and and educating and, and training through all of the books and through Harvard, et etc. So, I guess, tell us a little bit about your leadership journey. How did we get to to hear the Bill George that we know now as the author and thought leader?
0: Uh, David, I always wanted to be in business leadership. I went to engineering school at Georgia Tech to get a good technical background. So, I figured in my era growing up that most of the companies of the world would be technical. And then I went straight through to Harvard Business School to try to get the broader education. But... Uh, I was fortunate enough to hold a lot of leadership roles from being a general manager at uh, 27 all the way up to being CEO of Medtronic for 10 years with the uh, stints at Linden Industries and at Honeywell. Uh, it was a great opportunity. I put a 10-year limit on being CEO, so now I'm in my, let's say, late 50s. And uh, what am I going to do now? And I've got to finish my business career after 33 years. And so I headed off for Switzerland to do a working sabbatical always wanted to live there and uh, got into teaching, found out I loved it. And uh, then I got asked him back to my alma mater, Harvard Business School. And this is the end of my 12th year. So I've had a lot of opportunities. And somehow I got into writing. I always wanted to express my ideas, but wasn't sure I could write as an engineer. And I've been very fortunate to, to reach a lot of people with my ideas about leadership, which are pretty straightforward ideas. In fact, when I wrote Authentic Leadership 2003, everyone said, what's it mean to be authentic? Today, authenticity has become the gold standard for leaders. So everyone thinks they know what it is, they just want to know how to get there. And that's what all uh, Discovery North really tells you how to become that authentic leader.
1: Yeah, I, I love that idea that there was a time where people said, what's authentic? What does it mean to be authentic? But it's true we were there. And um, to me, I, you know, that probably served as the the impetus and the um, really inspired a lot of interesting research on authentic leadership and driving it forward. And so I love um, I love this new book on how to sort of teach people how to get there. Let's you said one thing that I, I want to make sure that we, I guess, cover is you said everybody thinks they know what authentic leadership is. So discover your true north is about kind of how to get there. Is there any difference? I mean, how do you, how do you define authentic leadership? And have you noticed the term sort of morphing when other people talk about the idea, the concepts of authentic leadership? I have.
0: A lot of people are confusing leadership with style. Uh, leadership is not your style. They're thinking in terms of a, a rigid form of leadership or kind of saying whatever comes out of your mouth, uh, which is not authentic at all. Uh, in fact, the key to authenticity is having high-level emotional intelligence, so you're aware of your impact on other people and uh, how you affect them. So uh, to me, being authentic is being genuine and being real and uh, having a high level of emotional intelligence as well as IQ. And as we say, the hardest thing you'll ever have to do, the longest journey you'll ever take is the 18 inches from your head to your heart. And to me, an authentic leader has to connect their head and their heart, the analytical side of the head, the human side of the heart, where qualities like passion, compassion, and empathy and courage come from. You can't teach these in a classroom. You have to learn them through very hard experience. And to me, that's the key. Now, authentic leaders, what they do is they, they don't exert power over people, they empower other people to lead, aligned around a purpose and a set of values. And absent that, you know, people say, what about an authentic jerk? Well, there's no such thing. That's because you haven't really processed your life story and understand your own crucibles, you're still carrying some wounds from childhood or other, maybe in your career, but other points in your life. So I don't really believe people are born jerks uh, coming out of the womb. I think that we become that way because we really don't understand who we are in this world and understand how to operate in it. And then I think they get everyone aligned and empowered and ultimately they have to create value for all their stakeholders. And so it's not about the shareholder alone, it's about creating value for your customers, for your employees, for the communities you live in. And when you do all those things well, guarantee you, you will create value for your shareholders. I know no exceptions to that rule. And the key thing here is only with an authentic approach to leadership can you sustain great results over a long period of time. You can get some great results in the short term, like a flash in the pan, come up and down, but eventually you'll burn out.
1: Well, and it's it's funny to me because I'm looking at, you know, where, where we are now, that idea is finally sort of catching on. But it seems like we had about three decades of the altar of shareholder value and we'll sacrifice whatever we can to kind of make that quarterly number. And it's refreshing to me. I mean, I love the idea that you said that shareholder value flows out of that. But kind of if you make that, I mean, you and Roger Martin were the ones for me that really tipped off this idea that, no, that's an end result. That's not the goal. The goal is value for all of the stakeholders, everybody involved. And then the, uh, the effect, the thing that comes after that goal is the increase in shareholder value in a sustainable way.
0: Exactly. And how can you create value if you're ripping off your customers? Right. Uh, it's got to catch up with you, you know, if you don't treat your customers well. Uh, if you're riding on the backs of your employees. Right. Uh, in the end, it's going to catch up. You won't have empowered people, and they won't give you their extra effort, and you won't be competitive with the next company. Uh, so I think these things are all critical to, uh, as you say, the equation of creating shareholder value in the end.
1: Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Now, I also think one interesting thing that um, I either didn't I didn't know or forgot was your original background in engineering. Um, I find it funny because you said, you know, you didn't think you could write, et cetera. I come from the opposite standpoint. I undergraduate, I was an English major. The whole goal was to be a writer. This whole leadership and organizational psychology thing is a detour for me. The end goal was always writing. So naturally, the thing that um, I really loved in Discover True North was that idea of the the personal leadership journey, the journey to authentic leadership, um, maybe because I'd spent so much time studying the hero's journey and Joseph Campbell and that idea. And so when we have that uh, that journey process, I'm throwing around those kind of parallels. But I wonder if we could talk a bit about that. You kind of lay out three phases to that journey, the preparing for leadership, the actual leading, and then um, generativity, which I hope I'm saying right. Um, I've been reading it in my head. Um, I wonder if we could take each of those in turn and talk a, a bit about it, starting with that preparing for leadership role. I think a lot of times people strive to be leaders, but don't really take the time to prepare until they're already in the role. And maybe that might even be too late.
0: Uh, David, about 10 years ago, we set out at Harvard with a little research team to try to discover how did people become authentic leaders. And my colleagues at Harvard Business School wanted me to find what are the characteristics and traits of successful leaders. When we went out and talked to these leaders from very young to very senior people, 23 to 93, they didn't want to talk about that. They want to talk about their life journeys. Even the 93-year-old, that was all about immigrating here from Poland, Uh, and we found that the after 125 interviews and about 3,000 pages of transcript, that the dispositive thing, the thing that stood out more than anything else were people's life stories. Interestingly enough, I was at a session yesterday uh, with Jennifer Newsom, who's got a, a new movie out coming out about boys and the masks they live in. It's all about their life stories, and they had some criminals on there talking about theirs. It's all tied up in their life stories. And if you don't understand that, you don't understand yourself. And maybe. You know, a lot of us as males have a struggle with our fathers, and we have to wrestle through that. Or maybe we've had rejection like I did, losing seven elections in a row. It's only getting through there through your life story. So the whole preparation phase is kind of rubbing up against the world. And I love Joseph Campbell. It's really about the hero's journey, and a lot of us start out as heroes on our Journey, And it's only later we come to we're on a leader's journey. But in this preparation phase, it's kind of about our grades and how we're doing the organizations. What do we do? Our resumes? I hate to say it, but it's true. And so then only later do we get prepared for real leadership roles by finding out what works and what doesn't work for us in leadership.
1: Yeah, no, I think I think you're totally right. And I think so often uh, the danger in a lot of leadership training programs that people get either internally or that they seek out once they're in a, a role where they're trying to grow their leadership is that they always assume a model and try and teach you a model that may or may not be authentic to those life stories. And depending on those life stories, like you talked about the father issues, et cetera, depending on those life stories, those models may end up rejected by the individual person and hence not effective because we haven't taken the time to reflect on how that led us to where we are today. Yeah, I totally agree. We move from that, from phase one into the phase two of actually leading, stepping up into leading. And then I love, you've got a little chart on one of the pages where it's stepping up into leadership and then down into a crucible, right? Sure, sure enough, no one, um, no one steps into that leadership role without some kind of crucible, but that's part of the process and part of that journey to authentic leadership. Let's, let's talk a little bit about that leading phase.
0: In the crucible, in the leading phase, you're kind of building up to the uh, taking on bigger and bigger challenges. You're learning how effective, how to be in effect. You're really making what we call in the new book, which wasn't in the early book, the journey from I to we. You go from being, it's all about me, the hero's journey, to so the leader's journey. But somewhere along the lines, it doesn't work out. You start going in, you, hey, if I'm really good, everyone will treat me fairly. Well, life isn't always fair, and things don't go your way. Or you fail, and then you have to really... Uh, consult yourself. I'm working one leader now. And I keep telling them, you are not your numbers. You're a great leader. But if the numbers are bad, you start to think, oh, I'm a failed leader. So you've got to have that experience. But it's only then that you confront your own weaknesses. You know, I used to play a lot of college tennis. And i tell you, when I won a match, I always thought I was better than I was. And so when I lost, I found out what my weak spots were, and I could go back and correct them. It's the same thing with leaders. You have to go through that time of testing and trial. And I would not trust a leader who had not been through that to run a big organization.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. I think the interesting thing is that so often sometimes we end up in that crucible position and we feel like I think you kind of need to be past it to realize what it was, but it's so hard to remember that that's part of the journey when you're in the midst of it. Which is one of the reasons I, I encourage people—you know—check check out Discovery Tree North before you fret it, right? Learn learn the whole stages <laughs> in the journey before you hit the crucible, so you know you're in it, right? But, yeah. but yeah, hugely important. And then we move to sort of the final phase, this generativity phase. Let's let's talk a bit about that. What it, what is entailed in that? I love that's when I, I guess it's funny that you said in in phase two is the to We because I loved there was some research on. Um, giving back and on finding support teams and that sort of stuff. Let's let's talk about this final phase. Well, I have to confess, a lot of my
0: writing is derived from some of the great thinkers, people like Douglas McGregor, my mentor, Warren Bennis, and uh, uh, in this case, Eric Erickson, uh, who wrote about life's journey stages and the maturation of people. And the age stage was generativity. That's the stage of giving back. And it's kind of when you've been leading one organization, you complete that, as I did a number of years ago. And you start thinking about, what can I do next to have an impact? And you realize you can spread your wings and impact a lot of other people. You can mentor, you can coach, you can be on boards, you can support a number of organizations. And a lot of my colleagues who have run organizations now are not doing anymore, but they're doing exactly that. They're giving back. Or maybe you've done well financially and you want to give it all back financially. Or you have more time to give to an organization you really care about. And I think this is the time to do that. Otherwise you atrophy and you go downhill and die, to be honest. And that's what Erickson talks about the ninth stages where uh, you know you, you, you actually it's the end of life.
1: But some people get there early
0: because they don't they don't go into a generativity phase.
1: Hmm. Well and in- I, I think interestingly, I, I mean, this is uh, now I'm getting a bit personal. Do you think that sometimes people's generativity phase is sort of thrust upon them? I mean, you, you talked about how in your journey you had you set a 10 year time limit as CEO. And so staring at the well, what do I do now? Um, and then found generativity to sort of be that next thing. I think it's it's interesting that sometimes when people are faced with that, they choose not to give back. But in do in giving back. I would, I would argue, I mean, I actually, um, I, you know, full disclosure, I was a drug rep selling an antiplatelet drug. And so I was always familiar in it, ad, admiring Medtronic. At the same time, I feel like when, once you stepped into your generativity phase, your thought leadership grew tremendously and the, the influence that you've had grew sort of tremendously. So I think it's interesting. It's tempting to look at generativity to me as a sunset. And in reality, it's this whole new challenge and this whole new journey ahead of you now that you have all that wisdom.
0: I'm so glad you said that because uh, I never would have had these opportunities if I hadn't taken that sabbatical, what I call my wilderness experience, like Christ going into the wilderness. It's a kind of phase where you have a chance to really figure out who you are and go from having 30,000 people in your organization to, as I say, a third of one. In other words, a part-time secretary, having no one, you're doing it all yourself. Hey, that's really great. And then you find out what is it you love, you know, You and so then you... You go do it. and that's the generativity phase that then opens up. But until you close the one door behind you, you can't do it while you're a CEO or while you're full-time in any organization. You have to shut that door behind you. And then all of a sudden, a new world opens up. My most creative years have been the last 12 since I started teaching at Harvard. I can tell you, now I give a lot of credit to my colleagues at Harvard for doing that. I never would have written these books had it not been for all those colleagues.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's been an awesome journey to sort of watch yours on uh, and how it parallels with uh, Discover Your True North, with the ideas of authentic leadership, et cetera. So kudos to you on that. I, I wonder if we could switch again, the book again, Discover Your True North, Becoming an Authentic Leader. It's a, it's an awesome one. To me, actually, I'm grateful you read this because I deal with mostly teaching undergraduates and people who haven't started the journey yet. And this is a, a awesome book. We actually have a copy of True North in our trophy case from when uh, your co-author Peter came to visit us. um, I feel like we should probably put this one in there too, because this is the one that I can give to those uh, students, graduates, people in that first leadership or management role um, to know the journey that's ahead of them. But actually, like you said, it's, it's useful at sort of all stages when you're staring at that generativity phase, how to embrace it. We've been talking a bit about you and your journey. I wonder if we could switch in the tail end here to our five questions we ask everybody. Um, The first one being what's the best advice you've ever received? Uh, to stop
0: focusing on myself and getting ahead and realize I need to spend more time with people. I got that after I would lost seven elections in a row and I was at Georgia Tech and some seniors pulled me aside and said, Bill, no one's ever going to work with you, much less be led by you, because you're moving so fast to get ahead. You don't take time for other people. And that was the start of my journey going from I to we, where I was too self-oriented. I was too much on a heroic journey to change the world. And you have to get a little more modest to realize you're not really going to change the world. You're just going to impact the world you're in. And that has to do with the relationships with the people closest to you. And those are the most important relationships, the ones you treasure for decades.
1: Yeah. Now, I remember somebody else uh, once said it, 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 stop trying to be so interesting and just be interested in others. Um, and I love that that's sort of same idea. It's the beginning of going from I to we. Is to is, That's great. Um, what does an average day look like for you?
0: My average day is eclectic because one day I'm teaching the next day I'm on an airplane going to give a speech. The third day I'm at a board meeting. Fourth day I'm here in a Minneapolis office trying to get caught up on doing some writing. Uh, I'm writing a lot of regular columns now for people like Huffington Post and LinkedIn and and, uh, Harvard Business Review and people like that. So uh, my intent is to try to accomplish as much as I can but keep a lot of balls up in the air. So it's very eclectic and to have the opportunity to, uh, to, to, mentor a lot too. I'm mentoring several dozen people right now. I ask them to call me when they want to talk and they do. And, uh, those are very meaningful discussions. So you find me doing that. And, uh, frankly, uh, keeping in touch with a lot of people by email, which has exactly greatly expanded my network of people I can be in touch with.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Um, what are you reading right now? Uh,
0: the that last really great book I read was the road to character by John Gardner. And I really like the last chapter called The Humility Code. And we need to have, now I'm not considered a humble person. I don't consider myself a humble person, but there is underlying humility. You know, it's not about me. I was given some gifts at birth and it's how you develop those and you try to give back a little while you're here on earth. That's a strong form of humility. And he talks about the code we should have to, to care for others, to make a difference, to be the human being you wanna be. And uh, I think it's just an amazing last chapter that kind of summarizes the whole rest of the book.
1: That's, so I wrote, I, I wrote down to, to check the book out, but then also just skip to the last chapter. So, no, I'm kidding. Um, now, so here's the tough one. Here's the interesting one. And I've been actually waiting to ask you this one for a couple of days now. What would you say you believe that most people don't?
0: Uh, that all great leaders are servant leaders. Hmm. We're called to serve other people. And a lot of people still haven't gotten that, particularly the media. Uh, They want to talk about charismatic leaders. They want to talk about how much money they made, how great they were, the the title they had, you know, all the power they exerted on other people, the impact they had. No, we're really called to serve. And and until we get that, we can't become great leaders.
1: Hmm. You know, that's, that's actually a perfect uh, segue into our last question. You know, I, I feel like I might know the answer to this one because I've read True North and Discover Your True North and Authentic Leadership, but the name of the show is Radio Free Leader. In, in your mind, what makes someone a leader?
0: Being the human you're created to be. There's not much difference. In fact, I would say that all great leaders are really good human beings. But it takes a long time to become a good human being, become that integrated person. So you can live your life with integrity. You can be the same person at work, at home, in your personal life, and in your community, and live your life with that integrity. There's no such thing as balance in your life, but if you can have that level of integrity and be that human being, you can be a leader in every setting. I think that's what great leaders are, and they empower, mentor, coach, cajole, challenge others to step up and lead. There are times they have to be very tough. There are times they have to make painful decisions. Other times they have to be inspiring. Other times they're coaches. But I think it's having those qualities to really care about other people that marks great leaders. But you know, David, you gotta feel good in your own skin. You have to feel comfortable with being the authentic you. Because if not, you're gonna be in this mode of faking it to make it. And you know, people today, they know who's authentic and who's not. And they have a strong meter to get turned off by people who aren't real, who aren't genuine, who are being charismatic or trying to put on a show for them. They don't like it.
1: Yeah. I love that. It actually, there's a nod in this book to uh, Warren Bennis, and it reminds me of one of my favorite Warren Bennis quotes about people don't set out to be a leader, or good leaders don't set out to be a leader. They set out to express themselves fully, to tie into all of that, and then people can't help but be compelled to follow. Um, I love it. It starts with that being human. It starts, if I may, just plug the book again, it starts with Discovering Your True North. So I want to encourage people to check out Discover Your True North, Becoming an Authentic Leader, to figure out sort of what that journey looks like for you, what stage of that journey you're in, and how to move forward in figuring out yourself and being authentic to that. Bill, it's been too long, but thank you so much for joining us on Radio Free Leader. Thank you, David. I hope
0: you'll invite me back sometime. You're a great interviewer and it's a great discussion.